Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Episode 13 of The Story Studio with your hosts... Luke Condor, and Daniel Wilcox. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. To the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. It's a show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowdfunders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone looking to tell stories in the modern world. My name is Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by uh, Luke Condor with a K, and and, and Ben Errington with an E. Yep, yeah, right. there is an E in yep. there. Yeah, <laughs> there is one. At some point, Dan, we should work, like, work out a harmony and uh, do that intro together. <laughs> Oh wow! That'd be welcome to oh. the Story Studio. <laughs> I was going to try them, but then I'm not going to embarrass myself with harmonies. No, oh, okay. I beat the Story Studio. I beatbox welcome over it as well. Do that again, Dad. Yeah. Welcome to, to the Story, Story Studio. Studio. <laughs> okay, professionals. Look, that was, um, was beautiful. <laughs> so we're, today we're going to be talking to Mr. Ben Errington about his first novel that I know about. You haven't got any secret novels, have you, Ben? No, I've got no... Well, yeah, well, yeah, I've kind of got a secret novel. You've got secrets. Good. I've got secret. <laughs> I've got plenty of secrets. The mind um, novels dark, count as terrifying. secret novels. Say again? The mind novels count as secret novels, because I've got thousands in my head. Oh, yeah, the mind novels. They're my favourite <laughs> ones. <laughs> the mind novels. <laughs> no, no. They've got to have a barcode, otherwise they don't exist. <laughs> so I kind of figured that, like, we've all done we've finished books we've finished projects and we should probably talk about what we've learned from doing them i feel like once you finish a project you should be able to take like come away with some takeaways so i figured that's what we could do for like not only this book but other books that we do in the future so like dan when we've done ours we could maybe interview each other about what we find from them and we'll get skip on to do um one about Deeper Than the Grave. And we'll do one about Al Marvo as well. Yeah, that's good. But first, it feels super early. We don't normally record this early. It's really early, isn't it? There's there's actual daylight. Yeah. (laughs) For all the people listening, you can can listen to the daylight. I can't hear it. You can listen to the daylight. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels good to be up up this early on a Sunday, though, yeah? Yeah. 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 I tried to get out of bed at eight, and then I fell back asleep for about another hour or so. 
It's all right. We'll let you off on a Sunday. Yeah, thank you. I got up, I got up, I got up super early and I went for a swim. You mean you had super a bath? Early. You've been for a swim in the bath. I went for a swim. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all I'm, oh, all, okay. I'm, all, I'm all chlorine covered right now. How many lengths? How many lengths did I do? Well, I, I aimed for about 50 nice. at 20, 20, 25 meters. But sometimes I just get a little bit fed up or uh, I always end up in the same lane as either someone who's incredibly fast showing me up <laughs> or someone who's incredibly slow. And then I'm awkwardly, yeah. I'm awkwardly like a foot behind them. You know, it's just oh, like their yeah. ass. The worst thing is when you're being beaten by like a five-year-old dolphin boy. It's just like, <laughs> like doing, lapping you constantly. It's insane. Some people Have you ever been swimming and, and someone behind you who is faster decides to go under you? Oh my God, no. And no, they just appear hilarious. out of nowhere. Just like, do you grab onto <laughs> their feet? Terrifying. Do you grab onto their feet and just go for a ride? <laughs> just go, high ho silver. Yeah. No, no, that's no, never I've, happened. That's kind of weird. I don't. I've not had that. Yeah. I've had some. I've had someone like really close behind me, but they're so impatient that they're just like they don't. They don't care about just like nudging me. Yeah. They're swimming and they're just hitting against my feet and they're just like I'm just like just calm the fuck down. Just let me take <laughs> over when we get to this. I, I always feel. Face. I always feel bad when I kick people behind me. Just give them a quick boot in oh, the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. Done that. Probably... I've kicked someone. I've kicked someone in the. <laughs> <laughs> I've kicked someone like in the lane next to me before. Like I've got. Got a little bit. Not sure exactly where I am. Yeah. And How long are your legs? My, my foot's got a little bit, <laughs> a little bit out, out of control, and it's gone sideways. I've kicked someone, and I've just, you know, I've just, yeah. I don't even say sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Have someone <laughs> roll. <laughs> I'm a rebel. Uh, Dan, what are you up to, man? Uh, editing still cracking through. I finished the first section of They Remain. Um, because I'm kind of. I've been listening to a lot of story structure podcasts and reading a lot of story structure stuff and just trying to see it in my head as the five main points of a story. So you've got your beginning hook. I'm going to just show myself up here. Beginning hook. Inciting kind of like incident. Inciting incident. The lock-in, then, I think it's called. Or yeah. Is it called the lock-in? I call it the middle bit. The middle bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've, then you've got your always lost moment and then you've got your conclusion or you, if you're doing a series kind of towards the end. Yeah. I think I'm... I'm up to about just finished a second point. So we've just had the big inciting incident where it kind of pushes forward into the rest of the story. Okay. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Really, um, the the process and the way that we've been doing it just means that now I'm at this point and I'm going through the draft that you're doing. I just feel like I understand the story more and what it needs to do. Yeah. So it's just plowing through that, getting the edits done. Um, but the weird thing is because when I do word counts, now I've gotten to the point that. I know how long it takes me to do a certain amount of words. So I can almost predict how long it's going to take before I'm finished. Whereas editing is a completely different ball game. It's some bits are stickier, some bits are easier. Yeah. So it's working out in my head how long that's going to take and just trying to roll with it and learn. Yeah. I think I'm in the same boat. I think I know what you mean when you say if you, so we planned each other's books and then we swapped and then we wrote, the opposing book and now we've gone back to the original book and just having that removal and then coming back makes it quite easy to it just makes it a lot clearer you know exactly you have a better idea of what should be happening when yeah yeah you just get this i think we said it before you get like a bird's eye perspective where you can just kind of go this works this needs a bit of work and then maybe there are a couple of things missing to connect the dots but Yeah. yeah enjoying it yeah yeah me too have you guys changed the title of that Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we were going to call it just... they, they Rot because it um, it seemed to work 
in the planning, but now it's less turning into less and less of a zombie book and more of a post-apocalyptic survival style thing. So there is some rotting, but that feels like more of the title to the sequel. They rot a bit. They they rot. (laughs) They've done some rot, and then. uh, (laughs) But like the second, we think that'll be the title of the second book. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the first one seems to be a, a lot more of the human condition, oh. and uh, and, less, and less of the uh, actual rotters themselves. So, mm. so what are you calling it? You call it they remain. I think Brexit. so. Book one, book it's one, the they remain. Book. That actually, um, <laughs> that title actually did come to me after Brexit. So you know, I do the oh, right. the story ideas Post- every day. Um, yeah. The day after Brexit, it's not exactly the same story as they remain, but the initial <laughs> seeds are planted at that point. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so you're going for they remain. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, that's quite good. Yeah. I do like it. I do like it. Is it just like people just going? No, I will not. I will not accept Brexit. Post-apocalyptic <laughs> world now. Yeah, they're still going Pretty on about much. Brexit, even though there is no EU anymore. <laughs> it's the... thirty years in the future. But... Yeah. Is anyone else <laughs> sick of sick of the word Brexit? Where did it come from? I swear, when like the re... I swear, when the referendum was like first put across and then in the weeks leading up to it the word brexit didn't exist yeah oh yeah it's like anything though isn't it i mean i think i prefer brexit to bromaine oh my god it sounds just like have you heard that that? no No, that was for the other side that kind of sounds like you know on bro man yeah sounds like an american bro bro. don't you want to remain come on bro man (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. brexit just the word just the word i just don't what i don't like is the word Brexit, and then the play on words that like the media use with the word Brexit, it just it just it's agonising. It's all, it's awful. It's it's very clever stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what we do is we're going to take two words and slam them together. There we go. I do that just, all the time to an annoying degree with cat. Like <laughs> no matter what we're doing, I'll put words together and try and make puns that really shouldn't be puns. I'll, I'll, Funny. I'll, I'll enjoy myself. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the kind of thing. I'll enjoy myself, my... but Cat will just shake her head in shame. The one that made me laugh was when I was at um, uni with pre-drinks after a couple of years became Prinks. <laughs> and I, I hate that. Absolutely hate that. But that just seemed to be a lingering thing. Who's up for some Prinks? Prinks. <laughs> Free drinks is a bit odd as well, isn't it? Yeah, just yeah, a little it's bit. Just, it's just drinks. They are just drinks, yeah. yeah. I have once done pre pre-drinks. That's pre the night I before. Yeah, I didn't turn up to drinks. <laughs> pre-drinks are dangerous anyway, aren't they? We've all, we've all yeah. died at pre-drinks and never seen the actual night out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had some yeah. uh, Lambrini once before I went out. And I think it <laughs> I think it had gone off or something because, like, it's not even that strong. Yeah, but it was, um, I think I had, like, half a bottle, went out to the first pub, threw up, and had to go home. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it just, it ruined me. Was it Lambrini original or Lambrini raspberry? Uh, original, I think. Original. Raspberry. Yeah. Raspberry. Oh yes, there we go. <laughs> L- Lambrini, I find, is is just a bit, yeah, it's disgusting. A bit yeah, it's urinal. Nice. It's a bit urinal. It is a bit urinal. <laughs> it's a bit urinal. What have, um, <laughs> what have you been working on, Ben? What have I been working on? I've got a couple of scripts going on at the moment. A couple of short film scripts that I kind of like. They, I, I'm just working through, you know. I'm probably on the second draft of one of them and the first draft of another. Uh, so, yeah, it's going pretty well so far. Both short films, both pretty individual. There was one that kind of I was really enjoying. The plot was coming together for really well. 
then I watched an episode of Black Mirror and it was so similar. <laughs> there were like there were just like a couple of a couple of things that happened in it. I was just like, that's exactly the same. So mm. I've gone back to the I've gone back to the guy I'm working with on it now, and we're going to try and kind of tweak it so it's not too Black Mirror. I think I might know what you mean, which uh, leads us on to I reckon the big whoops of the week because there's something I want to talk about in the big whoops. Oh look at that! That was smooth segue. Hey. Um, yeah, so big whoops of the week. Does anyone want to go first? Oh, what a big whoop! I'll go first. Why the devil not? Okay, my big whoop for the week is a uh, South Korean zombie film called Train to Busan. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. I saw the trailer. It looks pretty epic. Did you see the trailer? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I saw the trailer, and I think I watched it like an hour later because I was like, that looks intense. Yeah. And uh, it was intense. It was really, really good. You know, like, I, I quite like South Korean cinema anyway, but I've not really like kept up to speed with much over the last few years. Mm. I mean, I like, all, I like all the classics and stuff, but... I've not really kept up to speed with new releases probably for three or four years. So as soon as I saw this trailer, I was like, oh, that looks really good. But it is complete. It is a really, really sort of like unique zombie film. But it's also got like really good characters as well. It is a bit over the top. It's a bit over dramatic. Um, but it, and and it's pretty and it's pretty terrifying as well. Hmm. I definitely I definitely give it a shot. Is that and what, is that in... on Netflix or is that? Uh, no, no, no. About... no I, I just I just find a stream somewhere. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, I was I was trying to see if it was like a cinema release or something, but uh, couldn't couldn't find anything anywhere. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm sure it'd be available to stream sometime soon. I think it's out in various. I think yeah. it's out minimal in sort of like release. I bet they'll be like in like independent cinemas somewhere. Like, there's always one quirky independent cinema in every city. I'm sure it'll be there. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I was just feeling really impatient. It, the kind of tra- the trailer got under my skin a bit, and I was like, "Oh, I really want to, really want to watch that." Yeah, but it was. It, it, even though the trailer looks amazing, the film's so much better. It's just, yeah, it's just got it's just got really good characters, characters you sort of love, absolute despicable characters as well. And, and what's uh, it called again? Train to Busan. And it's just it's paced really well. And you and you know like sometimes in these zombie films you're just like that is completely unbelievable. There's absolutely no way that would happen. There's no way these people would make those decisions. This film, you're like, it all kind of makes sense. It all sort of comes together. Mm. Uh, and the action's really good as well. The C- and the CGI is great as, as well, because there, there are some ridiculous bits in it with absolute swarms of zombies. Um, but it all looks really good. Is it quite a high budget? Or? Um, I guess it's got a fairly, it must have a fairly decent budget, because there's a lot of explosions and shit. Yeah. What other <laughs> South Korean films would you recommend? Oh God! Um, well, obviously you got the obvious ones like the Vengeance trilogy. So, um, Old Boy, Sympathy for Mister Vengeance, and Lady Vengeance, they're all good. Pa- all Park Chan, all Park Chan Wook stuff's good. Oh, have you seen? Uh, uh, speaking of Park Chan Wook, um, I'm a cyborg, and that's okay. Do you know what? Um, that's one I haven't seen. That is amazing. I've got to say, it's that is, mental. That is, that is it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Park Chan, Park Chan Wook. Uh, oh, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Seen that? I don't think so. No. Pretty sure that's spot chan work. Anyway, that's like a western. That's uh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. There's oh, a like... there's a South Korean film uh, I saw a while ago that's pretty mental. It's about a um, a detective. He's after a serial killer, but he doesn't want to just capture the killer. He starts like torturing oh, yes. him. It is brutal. I saw the devil. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that is that is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I definitely recommend I saw the devil. Yeah, that's probably that's. I mean, that's like a. Cat and mouse thriller, or like a sort of serial killer thriller, but it's completely different to anything you you could expect because it's like 
when you catch the killer, you think, catch the killer, that's it. But this is just goes so far beyond that. <laughs> yeah, and he catches the killer pretty early on. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's the film. But then that's that's <laughs> yeah. the that's the start. That's the inciting incident. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh. another, another, another film rep, rep, uh, I'd recommend South Korean The Host have you seen that that's like a monster monster movie I think I caught like I've a, a few minutes here. of it on like a late night yeah. channel 4 thing and I was too tired but it looked pretty it's like the monster movie right yeah yeah it's like a monster movie just some weird sort of like mutant monster thing comes out of comes out of, the, of a river I think and starts sort of like killing people eating people but that's really good but that's the thing I feel like one thing I like about it South Korean cinema is that the char- it is just the characters. Even in films that shouldn't necessarily be character-focused, they always find a way to be really character-focused and sort of give those films like a different edge. Hmm. Like hmm. standard monster films. I mean, how many monster films have you seen sort of like from Hollywood recently and you think, oh, God, those characters are really good. Some are like, oh, I don't know. Modern, like the Godzilla, for example. Yeah. Can you re- can you really remember anyone who was in that? I mean, I know Brian Cranston was in that and so was... Uh, but that was kind of the selling point, yeah. Yeah, but there's and then there's, there's a soldier that um Aaron oh god what's it the dude the dude who played Kickass oh really He's Aaron Taylor Johnson exactly and like no one even remembers that like, I, was yeah. about it the, I was thinking about it the other day and I was like oh my god yeah he's in it do you know what I mean it's just forgettable characters and and I know yeah. the the monster is the main focus of Godzilla obviously yeah but, but with some with some like the nice have those characters that you can link to relate to yeah I think that was one thing with, tra- with train with train to Busan is kind of like you cared about people almost immediately and even characters you didn't care about straight away. By the time it came around to them either dying or being in peril, you're like, Oh God, I really do care about them. I don't want, I don't want them to die. Or on the other hand, I definitely want that person to die. There is a, there is a character in train to Busan. Got to be one of the most despicable characters of the year. You're just like, Oh my God, die. You've sold it. <laughs> it's, it's on my list now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely yeah. check out. Yeah. Dan, what about you, man? You got a big whip? Uh, yeah, my big whoop is um, that last week was the one-year anniversary of Sins of Smoke for me. So that was the oh. novella that I wrote in 2015 that kind of kick-started everything that I do writing-wise. Um, and yeah, it was just, I remember, I, I actually forgot that I put it on my calendar as a reminder. And then it pops up, and then obviously Facebook did it. Did you know that this happened a year ago? And I was like, yes, but thank you, Facebook. That's lovely. Um, and yeah, it's just... I don't know. I have a lot of fondness for that book, though. One of the things I've already found is that I'd love to go back and rewrite it. There are definitely mm. some lessons I've learned in the last year that um, I take to that book and I'd recraft it. But at the same time, I don't really want to touch it because yeah. that was the book that started it all um, and that I, I did pretty well with. So, Do you, uh, I think about this the other day, when you first start like publishing and, and producing stuff, you, like your scale of what you can do and what you want to do is quite small compared to and it just seems to build everything you do sort of like opens your world a lot more so you start thinking about like novels you can do and then you start thinking about novel series and then you start thinking about more than that i guess like making a bit of money from it or something or it's just yeah, yeah. it all builds on top of each other yeah it comes back almost to that um when we were talking before about habits and starting off small and building up um mm. and to begin with, it was it was I did a couple of short stories which I sent off to some magazines and stuff and didn't really do anything with, um, and then thought if I could do this, why not try a, a novella? So that turned into um, an eighteen thousand word story, and yeah, and since then it's just been trying to push and and do novels. So yeah, it, each each baby step opens up your gate that bit further. Hmm. 
It was just it was just nice having that pop up in my calendar. How uh, how often, if at all, do you guys go back and read like stuff you've written, like your old I, stuff? I never read like my old stuff. <laughs> no, <laughs> Literally, never. once it's gone to print, I I put it aside. I might, I don't know. I think I need to leave enough time to go back and look at it with fresh mm. eyes. But I've not read Sins of Smoke in its entirety, at least. I've read sort of small sections, but. Yeah, no. I, think, I, try, I try not to. I mean, there's a couple of times with well, the hips from out of space. Read it so many times before it came out. Like I just didn't want to read it again for ages. And I had to when Ian did the audiobook, I had to like listen through it again. And I can I can hear like bits had changed, but I kind of like that it's like a a time capsule of what I was writing like at that point in time. Um, also, when we started putting stuff on Steam, I, I put some of my old short stories on, and like. I would not publish them now. Like if if I was writing today, I would not publish them. They're just not good enough. But at the same time, I don't want to change them because I'd like to see that progression in the next however many years, just to see how much I've changed and developed. It's good to feel that, isn't it? It's good to actually, I think that's one of the things that motivates you is if you can see that progression in, I mean, a year, you can argue is a really long amount of time, a really short amount of time in, in terms of writing. I see it's quite a small amount of time a year, but the fact that you can see what you could do better and understand that in your own work is is yeah. testament to the fact that you're constantly improving. Yeah. I guess it feels like a long amount of time considering everything we've done in the last year. If you kind of pub- if you'd published that and then a year had gone by and you hadn't done anything else, it, oh, would, yeah. probably, it probably would seem like a lot of time. Yeah. But... Yeah. yeah. Um, what about you? Do you read yours again, Ben? Um, not in full exactly. Um, with with a short story that I did called Die Pack, when I wrote the sequel to it, I did go back and read the whole thing just to sort of re- refresh myself with all with different plot points and some of the characters. Um, and and yeah, I did I did sort of see things that I thought, God, yeah, I definitely changed that. But I try not to think about it too much. I didn't mm-hmm. try and dwell on it. So um, other than that, sort of like longer projects, I'd probably I've, I've definitely like flicked through like books. Like Ten Tales, for example, I flicked through that and read like a page. But again, I can kind of feel that if I get into it, and again, I, I have read it so many times. Obviously, when when it was edited and everything, that yeah. I do feel a bit like, oh, I've read all this before. Come on, <laughs> yeah, come on. But yeah, I see, I see plenty of things that I change, and uh, it's a little bit frustrating. But you know, I, yeah. I always find as a like a former editor that it's always a fear of typos for me. So I did actually when Sins was released, it was a week after. I opened it to a random page and just went, oh, shit, and just closed it because there was just a word spelt incorrectly. And I, 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 don't, I went back and I edited it in the CreateSpace file and the KDP file, but it was just that I was like, how many of these have been sold that are going to have that in? But, yeah. You know, it's you the price you pay. You can't dwell on that too much because that will kill you. We've, yeah. all, we've, we've all noticed typos in, like, books from major authors, right? Yeah. I've noticed yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Mm. I guess just think about that when you think when you think about it, if it can happen to the to the best. Yeah, I found one in um, a book that I've got. Actually, wrote it on the shelf uh, <laughs> in the copy editing handbook. One of the most recommended books that I've ever found on copy editing, and I found a typo. That made me laugh. Wow. Oh, maybe maybe it was in there ironically. Maybe it was a test. Maybe. You passed the test. You passed the test. <laughs> Here's a hundred pounds. Yeah. What's your whoop, Luke? Okay, so I wasn't going to do this one, but I kind of have to. On the last episode, my big whoop was Black Mirror Season 3. 
this episode, I'm going to do Black Mirror Season 3, Episode 2. Like, <laughs> it's just, I've seen the first three episodes now. So next ep- the next podcast, I might have to do Episode 4 or something. I don't know. But it's just such a good show. Like, I was a bit worried when I saw the first episode of this new season that it was going to be a bit more american fired, but it's not. It's um, it's a bit more global, I guess. But um, yeah. episode two, everyone's telling me so far that episode three is their favorite, which is the the um, Andrew Perez. No, it's the shut up and dance one. It's oh, a, right. Okay, it's yeah. the one that I'm guessing is similar to your short film that you're working yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, you know a bit about that short film, so you yeah, must have yeah. seen, seen that there were a few. There was it was just there were a couple of actual bits, yeah. That I kind of, that I kind of done and an idea, including the big twist, yeah, <laughs> which which I wanted to, which I wanted to include. Oh, that twist is pretty uh, pretty mental. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. As soon as I, I, I was watching it, I was watching it alone. I had, had earphones on. My girlfriend was asleep next to me, and uh, I just turned and sort of poked her, and I was going to say, <laughs> "Oh my god, oh my god, this is exactly the same." But uh, yeah, I managed to. When uh, when that twist can happened, you pretend, can you not pretend you've not seen it and just claim it? God, I think too I many. Know. Black Mirror is a bit of a, <laughs> a phenom at the minute. I think you can't really get away with that now. I don't yeah. know. Um, when that happened, that twist happened. Me and Cat like looked at each other like, "What the? <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's yeah. that good?" But I actually prefer episode two, which is the play test one. Like it's it's the the best horror. Film and I say film just because it's an hour long. It's a self-contained story. It's pretty much a full feature-length film in a way. Um, but it's the best horror film I've seen in so long that actually terrified me. Like I, I watch horror films all the time, and they're, they're about demons and ghosts and stuff that just doesn't exist in my mind. Like I'm, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in anything like that. But this, this like augmented reality implant thing that he gets. Like some of the endings and it was so haunting. I, I just went to sleep that night just with with it like playing on my mind. Have you, have you seen that one, Ben? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. So that, like, yeah, yeah. There's like three endings in that episode. Um, yeah. The first one when he uh, said he doesn't know who he is. That that one really got to me because it's like it could happen. Like why? Yeah. And it probably will happen. Something crazy will happen like that at some point. But. Yeah, Dan, it's the most horrific thing, but like in the best way possible. It's on like, my list. Yeah, I think I think um, is the dude is it the main dude? Who is he? The, the American I actor. I didn't recognize him, but I thought he was great. Like he's such a likable character throughout the. Throughout somebody the said to me, so so yeah, somebody said to me he was Kurt Russell's son, but I don't know. I, I might need to IMDb that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they were just saying he looked like him, but he was a uh, like he played the character so like so likable, like. And I felt so sorry for him <laughs> at the end of the episode. Just wanted a quick buck. Yeah, just wanted to get, uh, it, get home. It was it, it was a good one. I think it was really well paced. The endings were, as you said, haunting. It was it was pretty intense, pretty terrifying. Yeah, I think maybe it needed a little bit more time to kind of like establish him in that house, seeing various things because it was almost like yeah. you saw a couple of things. Then the girl he'd been interacting with came into it. Oh, and, then God, yeah. spir- and then it kind of just spiraled out of control. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, as it, a... it needs a bit more. If it had like an extra half hour, if it was, if it was a full feature film, then it could have had <laughs> that extra half an hour to build that that craziness inside his mind that, that's sort of building yeah. up over time. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great though. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't my favorite episode of the series 
by a, by a long stretch. I think I tried to tried to rank in my head the six, and then obviously you've you've only seen three loops, so yeah, you've got yeah. you've got three unbelievable ones coming up. I think uh, yeah, the one I've seen, I couldn't help but look at like some of those ranking lists, and um, the one that was on the top. Um, they say it's Charlie Brooker's masterpiece. It's like about like I think it's like near future London or something. I've not seen it yet, but um, I can't wait. I really can't is it, wait. Is is it Man versus Fire or something like that? Maybe I'm not too sure. But it's one of this doesn't happen very often. Normally when I watch a series, I binge watch it and I just get through it really quickly. But I'm savoring them, so I really don't yeah, yeah. want to just like waste them. So I'm like me and Kat are, like watching one a night. And <laughs> yeah, I, just... I think I, I think I watched them all in about a week. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go crazy, but yeah, I think the the three you got coming up. So San Junipero is just like it, just the vibe, just the atmosphere of it is so different to Black Mirror because with Black Mirror, every episode is like dread. Mm. What's going to happen? What's going to go wrong? What horrible twist is going to happen where you're just like, oh my god? Because San Junipero is just so so different to anything you've ever seen on that oh, show. I can't but wait. still, but still, kind of like fits perfectly into the world that they've created. I know obviously they're all different standalone yeah. stories. Just fits perfectly in there. And the other two, I mean, uh, the, the last episode is like an hour and a half as well. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you get a bit of, bit of time to sort of build with that. But yeah. I would say, I wouldn't say anything else, but yeah, check yeah. those. Dan, are you, uh, are you salivating at all? You should be. A little bit, yeah. 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 It's yeah. No, it's, um, I'm kind of, at the minute, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm so, so behind. I keep just seeing myself as that slowpoke meme. Um, but just like I'm, uh, I texted my mate the other day going oh my god episode 10 of Jessica Jones is so good and he was like yeah I told you <laughs> six months ago um, but no I'm, I, I kind of I like to work my way through things and Black mm. Mirror is on my list after I finish Jessica Jones well the good thing about Black Mirror is you can just a la carte you can just uh, like watch any episode like um, yeah. randomly because they're just their own little short stories but I just can't I've heard, go about good things about yeah. it. I need to. I need to just put the time in and watch yeah. it. This, does se- it, does this it... season is better than the first two. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's two episodes I think from the first two seasons which I just <coughs> absolutely love. Like some of my favourite stories of all time. But I think yeah. the season's just genuinely the, the quality is just better. Does it? Does it inspire you to write? Yeah. more stuff for for the other stories. Yeah, I mean Consider- the other stories is a bit more fantastical, isn't it? We we do a bit more, <coughs> a bit more of everything. Whereas this is very focused on that techno paranoia. Um, do you do you, do you think that some of the other stories could very easily be Black Mirror episodes? Yeah, especially some of the video game ones and uh, some yeah. of the more uh, time, tra- not, time travel ones. Yeah, like the more the more sort of realistic, the more grounded episodes for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's let's pitch them for, for season four. <laughs> yeah. That should be an episode. We should do an episode where we all pitch a Black Mirror episode. That could be cool. That would be good. So, um, should we move on to the main course of the episode? Yes. Uh, so, 10 Tales of the Human Condition. Uh, when did it, it came out Christmas time. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it came out last year. Maybe, I think it was, was it before Christmas? I think it was like the 19th of December, something like that. Right. So, yes, it's coming up to a year that it's been it's been out, out there. Cool. On its own. <laughs> and when was like the... <laughs> So that's when it was published. When did the initial idea come to you? Oh wow! The initial idea would have been low, would have been years ago. I reckon 2009. Because I think in 2009 I was working with an artist to try, try and make it into a fully fledged graphic novel. Yeah. And then that took that probably took about two years to get about 15 pages done. It just took, it just it just took forever, you know. I mean that was just that was the pace that me and the artists were working at. Yeah, but then it got to that point, and by the in terms of the amount of money I'd I'd spent, and and the way the story was going, I was thinking I could probably just write this as a novel, and it's gonna, you know, I mean, I'll be able to say a lot more, and mm. it wouldn't cost me as much. I think, yeah. it, I think it works as like a novel, potentially more than a graphic novel, but then again, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot more in the novel than the when yeah. there was going to be in a graphic novel. The graphic novel was going to be quite, you know, it was only going to be about, oh, I don't know, hundred yeah. pages. I say only, but obviously as a standalone graphic novel, that's yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. It works in that kind of format because reading the actual story, you can the characters and just the kind of action that is there. It's very, very high paced, and it would I could see it working fantastically as a graphic novel. But like you say, that's a a much longer process and. Yeah, um, I, I think at that point when I was writing, I wanted to write for comics and I wanted to write my own comics. I didn't really want to write novels yeah. and anything else, anything else like that. I'd never really been on my radar. Uh, so obviously, the the experience of writing, in the end, writing the book, sort of did turn me to wanting to write novels. Yeah. So what what brought the mental switch from comic to novel? How was that? How did that work for you? Was it sort of easy to go onto prose, or was it a bit more difficult? Um, I'd kind of like experimented with prose um, in the past and I'd written sort of like chunks of books and I'd written stuff when I was much younger as well where I'd kind of like been thinking, you know, I do want to write sort of books like that. But then 
making the transition then from wanting to be a comic writer into that, that I think it was just as I sort of got into writing the book, as I was probably about a quarter of the way through it, it was then that I realized, oh, actually, this is probably a much better way of telling the story and probably a much better way of telling stories for me, at least. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's what I, that's when the transition, I realized the transition was going to happen. Although we'd, I don't sort of have as much experience as I would like writing, like publishing comic books, hopefully in the next few years we will have a bit more of that. Um, I yeah, do, yeah. have generally found writing books is way easier, or producing books is way easier than producing comic books. Just quicker, <laughs> cheaper, like, yeah, you can just get the ideas out there really, really quick. Whereas comic books, just, I think I was reading an interview with Gerard Way, you know, the My Chemical Romance singer. Oh, yeah. He, um, so he's a comic book writer as well. He is, um, he's basically. Yeah, what does he write? Is it the Umbrella? Well, he wrote uh, that Umbrella Shoot, Academy. What's it called? Umbrella um, Academy, yeah. But now he's basically, he's got his own imprint within DC called Young Animal. He's got four comic books that he's, he's writing one or two. He's overseeing the overall production of, of this little line of comic books. But he said writing comic books and producing comic books is one of the most difficult things he's ever done. Like even more than the My Chemical Romance albums, which are pretty epic, like, you know, in the, the overall production. He was like the, the art director on those as well. And the videos and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Because didn't he? Well, he was the art director. What's his story? Didn't he initially want to be an illustrator or something, and then he was traveling to New York, and I think he was around about in New York when nine eleven happened. Uh, and that kind of inspired him to kind of bring his friends together and, and make know. a band. I don't, I don't know. know. I should look into that. But he seems like a really interesting guy. Uh, even if you people aren't fans of his music, they should check out his comic book work because he's it's really interesting. He's doing more of like the weirder side of comics, which DC don't normally do. Um, yeah. but do you yeah, think so- part of that's in the in the collaboration process itself? So, like, if you're writing novels and stories, it is very much. If you wanted to, I mean, always recommend getting proofreaders and editors further down the line. But if you wanted to, you could easily just write from start to finish, book, pop it online, done. Whereas with comics, obviously, your strengths tend to either be in the writing or in the illustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, it, yeah, it's finding those collaborators who, you know, do you know what I mean? I've got the same work ethic as you, got the same drive as well. Uh, can kind of like bring a story to life. Because obviously sometimes when you're working with an illustrator, they might seem like the right illustrator to start with. Then you get a few pages in, and you're just like, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not me saying from personal experience. Like I can imagine that's what it's like. You know, you slave away over a script. And with characters and stories that you're, um, and then you put all the groundwork in trying to get the illustrator, and then they provide you with something. And I'm sure there's times when people go, I'm "Not sure if actually that was this is what I wanted." Mm. Yeah. How did you find your original illustrator for um, a box able sociopath? Um, I think I got in touch with him via Deviant Art. We've all we've we've all dabbled a little bit of Deviant Art. <laughs> I uh, I think I just saw his stuff and I I enjoyed it. I think he was I think he was drawing stuff from the tv show heroes at the time which i think mm. at the time i was i was big in i was really into that show and i kind of like saw his drawings and just contacted him and said look i've got an idea for a comic would you be interested and i just got chatting to him and i think we i think we were chatting for a number of weeks before we ever sort of made made a start on it but yeah he was really good at sort of putting together I mean, oh yeah his name's nino harn Cajon. he's uh, from the philippines so yeah, he was really good at putting together sort of all the initial character sequences um, and everything. And then when he did the se- sequential sort of art, it was amazing. It was just just black and white as well. Have you ever considered turning Ten Tails back into a graphic novel? 
Uh, no, not really. I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm done with, with finish that. with it. Yeah, finish with it. And uh, it's nice because I've got the 15 pages that kind of like act as a not really a prequel, but just like a little taster. Because I've yeah. got that, it kind of feels like enough for me to have that alongside the book. Like yeah. I can always go back to it and sort of look at it, and you kind of like see the sort of characters there, which is a good sort of thing to have before you go and before you go and read the book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. If you say um. So your, your the story came to you sort of years ago, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, yeah. When when it came round to that process of turning it from graphic novel into book, did you kind of because it's a very sort of high paced action thriller type book? Did you do any research around other genres? Did you um, look at what other people were doing, or did you just kind of go, "This is a story I want to tell and just roll with it"? It was a bit. I kind of I've been reading a lot of like Chuck Palahniuk and um, Brett Easton Ellis sort of stuff like that sort of like quite quite high paced dramatic sort of thrillers um with with obviously a lot of violence in them um that was kind of all the research i'd needed at that time to mm. kind of help me craft my own story and uh, as i said because it was like the first book i'd written really properly sort of sat down to to write i didn't really know what i was doing so uh, <laughs> so there was pretty much no planning there was no mapping out of the plot or thinking about things. I kind of just had the idea of what I wanted to happen in my head. Maybe not even all of it, probably like two thirds of it. And I just started writing. And that, that was obviously why by the time I finished, I had way too much. <laughs> uh, what do you say like the biggest uh, challenges were when you were trying to, in the writing and in the, the, the publishing process? Um, I think everything was a challenge, absolutely yeah. every step of it, because it was the first time I was doing almost everything involved, mm. from, from the writing process, the editing process, to the publishing process, as I said, because it was because it was the first time I was doing it, it was all brand new information. Um, so, yeah, everything was a everything was a challenge. But then that, that's good. It's good to, find, to kind of get over that hump mm. of doing it, doing it for the first time. Yeah. And then once you get over that hump, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? See, this is where I say, like, Sins of Smoke, it was... That well, my first experience with actually publishing was I'd written a play um, at, at university that did reasonably well grade wise. I say reasonably well, I did very well, um, and I just kind of oh. <laughs> being, being <laughs> modest. But, um, no, I, I basically just threw that into a word document and threw it online as a test of how to go through the process. Um, whereas I find it so almost, almost inspiring, or not almost inspiring, that you had this like several hundred page book yeah. as your start starting point whereas a lot of people do tend to start with novellas or shorter stories to just get get their head around how it all works i'm, I'm gonna admit that ben blew my doors open <laughs> <laughs> just something i say every now and again but like when we first started at hawk and cleaver i'd only been like writing short stories and stuff and then ben said oh i've got this like 110,000 word novel and then it's only after that i sort of realized that it was sort of possible and it wasn't long after that when i wrote my first novel, just because I knew that we could do it in a way. I, I blew your bloody doors off. You did. <laughs> Was it like, God, if that guy could do it, <laughs> literally, literally, anybody can. <laughs> literally anybody can. Right, I'm getting anybody down to it right can. now. <laughs> so yeah, um, no, that's that's good. That's good though, because I, I feel like I feel like that. Um, obviously, once from listening to your podcast, yet like a couple of years ago, Luke. Mm. Obviously, when I first got in contact with you. That was the step I needed to take. It was almost like other people around me legitimizing the writing and the publishing process. Yeah, it did kind of give me that nudge because there wasn't really anybody 
that I knew who was writing. Yeah, I was going to ask if um, you actually had anyone you could talk to about the publishing stuff or if you were just, you know, an island out in the ocean. I was pretty much an island out in the ocean, yeah. And I was, I was making smoke signals and uh, <laughs> I, made, I made friends with a volleyball. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was difficult, but that was the thing. That was, I needed to make that. I needed to reach out to somebody initially. to get, And then, obviously, I got a lot of knowledge from Luke. He told me a lot of stuff. And then once that's done, once I've done that, and obviously can move forward with bigger bigger stuff so yeah yeah so that's okay. kind of how i came across matt because i was writing or just trying to get into the writing scene and meet people that were doing it through um a friend of a friend of a friend i was recommended his book the jump read that and was like oh he's in he's an indie author he's awesome and then just on a whim just sent him a message and got talking to him so i think putting yourself out there and actually just talking to people because i find that indie authors are very very friendly and very Happy oh, yeah, to definitely. talk about ways to do. And there's so many ways to do it as well. Like sometimes it's good to have just like a, if you follow loads of authors on Twitter, sometimes I have a nice little sh- sh- short conversation, emailing people directly and just like asking them, you know, a world of questions. Yeah. I think, yeah, because pe- people are always willing to, and I feel the same now because I've, de- I've definitely had, I mean, it's, it's a bit, bit of a shocker that people would, but people have kind of reached out to me and sort of said, oh God, how did you publish this book? I've, you know, I've written a little bit, a couple of people on my Facebook uh, friends list have done that and then a couple of couple of random emails i've had before so it's good to sort of try and put across the knowledge you've gained and sort of help other people mm. help other little authors sprout out of the ground <laughs> so they're not an island they're not an island yeah. yeah if um if you could go back well not so much go back but if you were now to start and completely redo 10 tales of human condition what lessons do you think you've learned in that initial process you're going to take forward because i know you've got a book planned for next year which yeah. is yeah yeah uh, the, the pursuit the pursuit the pursuit yeah yeah um is there anything sort of major that you're taking forward from that that you're going to carry over into that book yeah yeah i think so i think absolutely loads really <laughs> absolutely loads because i think with 10 tales i did just sort of i used to sit down and just write so much and there was no real there was there wasn't really much substance behind it it was kind of just just writing Pantsing, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, just just writing pretty much what, whatever came to me. I had some sort of idea of plot, but now I think mapping out plot is really, really important. Thinking about stuff a lot more, because um, you know what I mean. I'd, I'd I'd write plot points and sort of different things that, n- that the book could hinge on, and I'd write them just they'd come to me, and I'd write them immediately. Then, do you know what I mean? There's no fault behind it. Yeah, I think now I'm going to put, you know, what I mean, with every with anything I've written in the last year or so, there's a lot more fault behind it, a lot more planning. Um, I like to write out really simple sort of like treatments of the whole thing. So at least I've got something to reference when I'm writing and when I'm sort of breaking it down as well. And I think I'll think a lot more about word count too. Whereas mm. with 10 tales, obviously by the time I got to 110,000 words, which was a lot, <laughs> I, I did, I did obviously trim out a lot of that. I ended up, I think I ended up at around about 70, 75,000. So obviously there's a lot to lose, but cause there was a lot of waffle. Mm. So I think, so I think now, I know, I think I've learned how not to waffle <laughs> in my yeah. writing, yeah. I guess. I, think I, I do like when you... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, I do like when um, you do, you know, message with an idea and say, oh, I'm thinking of doing this, and then a couple of days later, you almost bring out like a two-page synopsis of what the story is going to be. It's really interesting reading those because that's that's just a really good way to outline what it is you're doing and get the idea behind it and the, the gears rolling. 
Yeah, yeah, I like to do that. I like to do that now. I don't know about you guys if you if you do that with the synopsises or the treatments and write out sort of like start to finish what's going to happen. Uh, I do to we a degree. Have- yeah, I mean, I like to um, more and more nowadays. I like to create almost like a Hollywood elevator pitch of what the story would be. And that, yeah, yeah. every day, so I, one of my things at the minute is I try and come up with like a new idea every day. That's what I'm trying to get it to, the point where it's a pitch where I could give it to someone and they could you know, visualize what the story would be. I'd like to get to that point now for myself when I'm writing a book. Um, did we do that with Project Dan? Dan? I can't remember. We, we sort of did. I, I, we, tried, we came up with, <laughs> we came up with um, initial, just a paragraph of what the story could be and roughly the mechanics, but yeah, I don't think it was. Any, it wasn't. It wasn't anything detailed. I think when it came to actually writing the beats, it was I. I put bullet points for the key points I wanted to happen, but it wasn't so much a flowy, almost prose version synopsis of what the story was. It was more just like bullet, 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 bullet. Yeah. Yeah, I, f- I think that definitely helps because I forget stuff as well. So like, <laughs> yeah. so like I might think, oh, this is going to be amazing to put in in like the second act, or this is going to be amazing to put in towards the end. And then unless I've got it there in that treatment or in that synopsis, I'll forget stuff. Yeah, I think I had it on one of um, our Scrivener files. I think I actually had a little folder that was just called Word Vomit. And it was just <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, this could happen and this, possibly this. Oh, my God, what is this? And just kind of literally let my mind run free. Yeah, I think mean, that's important. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's good. it's good to do that. I, I tend to do that with like a, a dialogue rather than sort of having having sort of like a a sort of breakdown of a scene or something i would tend to i'd base a lot of my ideas initially on on dialogue between you know usually two characters sometimes sometimes more than that but i've literally i would write nothing else but the dialogue yeah. so i've always been interested in that idea i have thought of that because my one of the first experiences of writing i did was stage scripts and that obviously is sort of dialogues and stage directions i've always wondered about crafting a chapter around the dialogue yeah that's uh, how Tarantino does it. Um, he, I can't remember where I read, but he, he said he, when he's writing a scene, he'll just write 30 or so pages of them talking to each other to find out what they're actually going to talk about. And then he'll know what they're, that's why, I think that's why his scenes are so dialogue heavy. But they're also, mm. they work in that way as well. That makes Very sense. Because I, I guess The Hateful Eight was, was you know what I mean? so much dialogue in pretty much one place as well yeah. the whole film for like a two and a half hour film yeah. and you know have you heard what uh, sorry change subject have you heard what Tarantino said recently is he retiring after two more movies yeah two I, more movies uh, and he's done I heard him say something similar a while back because um, I know he said he doesn't want to be keep make, he wants to make a certain number of films and then just leave and yeah. have like a perfect record um, has it been a perfect record though? I'm trying to, I can't think of any stinkers. Everything uh, I've seen in the business has been there, fantastic. There are no, there are no stinkers. The, the only one for me that I can't really call a film that I love is Jackie Brown. Yeah, well, Jackie Brown. A lot, yeah. a lot of people do love that. Um, but apart from that, if, it's a pretty much perfect record, surely. Have you seen True Romance? Oh yeah, man. True oh, Romance. Well, so he, he just he just wrote that, though, didn't he? Yeah. 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 True Romance is definitely. Definitely up there in my top ten. Uh, what uh, I know, some people. I mean, I quite liked it, but Death Proof, I don't think was as wildly loved as some of Yeah, others. yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, I I did like Death Proof, but it didn't feel because because of that whole Planet Terror, Death Proof, Grindhouse, weird 
thing that kind of like in some some cinemas they were both together and then they were like separate because of that it did kind of like knock it back a bit didn't it, it didn't seem yeah. but that, but then i think as a film on its own it is it is really good yeah it's probably it's probably not nowhere near one of his best but he's talked about um uh how death proof and kill bill um maybe a couple of others um are films within his film universe. So like he yeah. has Pulp Fiction and um uh the World War Two one, I can't remember what it's called now. Um but they all take place uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, they all take place within his Tarantino verse. And then the the more film uh sort of pastiche ones I guess are like films that take place films within his Tarantino verse. Which is quite oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, well because obviously in Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs you've got Vincent Vega, so John Travolta's character, and Michael Madsen's character from Reservoir Dogs are brothers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. I like it. I like that idea of building a yeah. universe. I've heard, I've, I've heard a few more sort of like funny little rumors about people who might be related or people who might have met each other. Yeah. Mm. So, would you recommend writing the dialogue as a good technique to try, or do you think that's kind of it's, could it's be obviously, difficult? Obviously, it de- obviously it depends what works for you. But um, in terms of in terms of some of the stuff I'm writing at the moment. A lot of it hinges on the dialogue, mm. uh, especially like in the last couple of short stories I've published. I feel like it hinges on the dialogue, so I've kind of like written the dialogue for a couple of key scenes that are like anchor points mm. that I know that I know are going to kick off this this sort of section of the book, and then we need to eventually get to this dialogue. You know I mean, and then once I've got the dialogue there, it's quite good to kind of like link it all together. Mm. I'm, I'm going to try. Yeah. it. I would say I've noticed that. Um... Dialogue, the best dialogue I see consistently is in comic books. I don't know what it, I don't know why yeah. it is, but um, because I guess because it's so important, like it's it's not hidden within other text. It's just so out there. But the dialogue in comic books is normally spot on, and if if it's bad dialogue, you can you can see it straight away. Um, but the only thing I don't don't like about sometimes in the comic book dialogue was when I read um, the Civil War graphic novel. There's a lot of exp- exposition in. Just pointing out who the characters are, which I, was, I get they have to do. Yeah. I was going to say exactly the same thing, then Dan. I was going to yeah, say exactly the like, same thing. Yes, you're right there, Tigra, and then all this other stuff. And you just do. You, do you know. you, have, have you guys read The Walking Dead? Much of much of the comics. Yeah, I got I've all the way to the point where it jumps forward like five years or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. What when with the Negan stuff? It's yeah, just yeah. Like uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I always find with with The Walking Dead. I mean, I love it. It's one of my it's one of my favorite comic book series. But I always find sometimes the dialogue in that feels really exposition heavy, and yeah. it just doesn't feel like how people talk. Yeah, it feels like people are so they they talk like so matter of fact, and they explain things so like succinctly. You're just like people don't really talk like this. But then it will go the other way. Yeah, some some of the, some of the scenes are like really good, and with the, with the Negan stuff, I really didn't think it would transfer. To live action very well, the way he spoke and the way he kind of like, I thought no, that if they if they rip lines directly from the comic, but it's not going to work. But then obviously with the season seven premiere with with Negan, it just he said stuff that was exactly the same as in the comic books, and it just worked so well. Is that but because maybe, is that because it's Jeffrey Dean Morgan who's like it's got to be delivering the lines because he's because yeah. he's good he's good as a bastard. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That reminds me a little bit of um, Suicide Squad and some of the exposition and that the dialogue doesn't feel organic, yeah. especially on the screen, like. One part, and I'm not going to like dive too heavy into it. But one part with um, it's Katana, isn't it? With the is that her name? Yeah, with the, with yeah. the samurai sword. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and she's, she's kneeled over, clearly whispering to spirits, and then one of the guys yeah. turns around and goes, she can talk to the spirits in her sword. And we're like, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. tell that. You don't have to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what I don't like is when films that are a sequel to another film constantly ex- deliver like exposition in the, as if to explain what came before. It's just like, mm. well, if you're a sequel, it's pretty likely that, the person, that whoever's watching has seen the first one. Yeah, we just don't need this exposition. Do you, do you know what I mean that that's that's sort of something that? What well, I saw some recently was a lot of exposition. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange. Doctor yeah. Strange. Oh, I've not seen Doctor it yet. Oh, have, you, have neither of you guys seen it? No, no not yet. Because it's an origin film, yeah. an origin story. There's a lot of exposition, but it's good. But do you know what I mean? The constant explaining of all these ridiculous, crazy things is a bit too much at times yeah it does feel like but i guess with a marvel origin film that you want to fit into like two hours because mm. they're not just they're not just introducing a new character they're introducing a whole other side of the, the universe the, yeah so far yeah yeah i'm quite excited because exactly. dr strange is has always been one of my favorite characters in the marvel universe um yeah, I've, I've never really been massively into him to be fair if you, if you read uh there's a like a run recent i think it's just coming to the end of it, it's um 12 issues now um but it, it's like it's it's not brutal, but it's really dark. And it's like about how Doctor Strange, when he he uses the magic, he sort of corrupts his soul as as he uses it. And it's such an, like an interesting take. It's quite funny as well. But it's um, if if anyone was going to get into Doctor Strange, I'd say read that first because it's 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 a good it's a good run. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely I would like to check it out because I did enjoy the character. The only thing I've ever really seen of the character though. I'm quite a layman when it comes to Doctor Strange. It's just him in other stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in bigger sort of like Avengers stories or like Civil we War. We need he someone is, that can do more than their powers. Yeah, but they need something yeah. fantastical to happen. It's like yeah. um, he's quite big in the in Infinity Gauntlet, isn't he? I think I think he will be in the films as well. I think um, yeah. I think if they've introduced him at the right time, because if if they yeah. did him earlier on in Phase One, it would have been a little bit too ludicrous. But yeah, yeah. we're all ready for it now. Yeah, we've 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 Guardians of the Galaxy. That's going to like set everything up for pretty much anything, and any yeah. any kind of any kind of because I think initially it was it was kind of in kind of felt rooted in reality, didn't it? Hmm. Until hmm. until we started getting Thor. Yeah, which was, I guess I guess it was quite early on. Yeah, well, yeah, especially with the first Iron Man. Yeah. Do you have any plans with your books? I know you've got a couple of um, sort of novella series, but do you think you'll look at doing any full-size novel series? Um, I don't know, really. I've, I've not really had an idea that I think can span across more than one book at the yeah. moment. But I'd definitely be open to it. I think yeah. so. You can, you can create your own multiverse. I'd love to create my own multiverse, yeah. That would be, <laughs> that'd be, that sounds exciting. <laughs> Uh, so we've been talking for like an hour now, um, so we should probably start to wrap up. But before we do, we need to do some quick fire questions. Quickly, please. Are you ready? <laughs> before. <laughs> uh, you, you, know the, you know how this works, right, Ben? I know how this works, yeah. Are you going to give me two options? I have to give you, tell you which one I like the most. Uh, to a degree. Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> to a degree, I'm terrified. Yeah. Uh, Dan, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'm trying to work out in which order to go because I'm not sure how to pronounce one of them. Oh, well, I'm not too sure <laughs> I'll, either. I'll go, I'll go second. Okay. <laughs> All right. You ready, Ben? Wait, no, I've done that wrong. I'll go first. 
You ready, Ben? Okay. I'm... Yeah, I'm ready. Cool. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Whiskey or vodka? Whiskey. Last person you sniffed? Myself. <laughs> Black Mirror or Black. Breaking Bad? Oh, Jesus. Um, Black Mirror, I think. Oh, really? Word? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eastern Alice or Palaniuk? That's what I didn't to pronounce. Palaniuk, I think, Palinuk. yeah. okay. Right. Singing or dancing? Singing. Can't dance too. <laughs> I've seen you dance in a sort of metal core way. Uh, <laughs> best film? Best film, Jurassic Park. Oh, nice. Great. Spirit writer? Spirit writer. Uh, Palaniuk, I think. Uh, noise you want people to make when you receive news of your death. <laughs> yeah, that. You wanted that. to laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, cool. Okay, I think we're about done. Uh, it's you can buy Ten Thousand Human Condition from all good Amazon stores, but you can also get the what do you call it, Ben? Like, like the pack with the the graphic novel accompaniment. Yeah, yeah. So the graphic novel accompaniment, um, sort of. What would he say? Package. Mega pack. Mega pack. Yeah. Mega pack. Like when you buy a sticker album and you've got stickers already in it. Yeah. It's like that. It's like buying the novel and then you get the graphic novel as well. Is that, that that's where is that? That's on your big cartel at the minute. Yeah, yeah. So there's a big cartel which is Ten Tales of the Human Condition. Bit long. <laughs> Bigcartel.com, I believe. Uh, yeah, but everything's on Amazon as well. Cool, cool. And where can people find you on social media? Um, Twitter which is at Ben underscore Errington. Um, I've got a Facebook page as well, which is facebook.com slash Ben Errington writer. And all over the old Hulk and Cleaver stuff as well. Yeah. All over it. So I'd suggest people go to hulkandcleaver.com and also maybe if you like what we do, if you if you dig us, uh, can you dig it? It's something I'm asking you right now. And if you can, go to... <laughs> Uh, can you dig it? Uh, go. com forward slash the birdcage and you can keep us making stuff and keep us doing new stuff. Hell yeah. Sold. Dan, have you got anything you want to tell people about? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, screw <laughs> no, you guys. No, just the usual. Hawkandcleaver.com. Sign up to the mailing list and get yourself a free book as well. Um. And yeah, listen oh, to the other shall stories. We, shall, we, shall we also say that Tom Robson, the composer for mm, um, yeah. the other stories, recently released a um, soundtrack from the podcast. So there's probably like, what, 10 tracks of yeah. deliciousness? It's, so it's, about, like, it's about an hour long. It's a long soundtrack. It's good to write to, good to meditate to, yeah, yeah. have sex time to, whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's on, bank, that's on Bandcamp. Um, I think it's... Tom Robson Bandcamp if you just search that you'll probably find it yeah and I'll link to that in the show notes as well yeah yeah Yeah, fantastic writing music yeah cool okay I'm gonna hit the stop button in three two bye we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast still hungering for some podcast goodness then why not check out our other show the other stories oh and did you know every time you leave us a review in the itunes store a puppy is born cute day anyway toodle pip no no don't okay. do, do it with a mouthful of biscuit 
spit. Oh, welcome to the Rory Studio. Wait, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it. I enjoyed that. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.